0: Good to be with you guys. My name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just here this morning, really want to start out by sharing what an incredible honor uh, and a privilege it is to be able to share God's word with you today. Um, I say that really not as like a new realization, but I, w- I would call it as a renewed realization. Uh, and especially as I've studied through this text this week in James chapter four, uh, and pointing out in particular one, one big verse here. Uh, It's verse 14 where it says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, okay? And so I I stand here this morning, like, co-signing that verse of James right there. And and I co-sign it because about six weeks ago, um, I got inspired by watching the Top Gun movies, and decided I was gonna play some beach volleyball, right? You can call me Maverick, Goose, whatever, whatever, whatever you like, but um, I decided I was gonna play some volleyball. And now, as I was doing that, in my mind, I was pretty much like 1986 Top Gun Tom Cruise. Like, I, that was me out there in my mind, right? I had danger zone in the background, ha, ah, wait, like just, and setting up my teammate, ready for a spike. Now, my physical body, was probably maybe 2022 Tom Cruise, Top Gun possibly, but probably more like the crazy Tom Cruise that jumped on Oprah's couch. Like I don't even know if my physical body was able to even accomplish that. But I have this kind of war that was going on, this like Tom Cruise war going in where my body and my mind are just like separated by three decades of Tom Cruise. And so here, here I am playing volleyball and all of a sudden I decide that, well, I'm gonna dive for a ball. Now, um, I'm in my mid-40s. Anybody in their mid-40s? Is diving for a ball a really good idea? No, it's a terrible idea, right? It's a pretty awful idea. Uh, I knew this in my brain, but my body was like, no, we're just gonna do this, we're gonna gonna lay out. And so what happened was that uh, in the process of trying to be a hero and be Tom Cruise, I ended up uh, herniating a disc in my back and shattering a disc in my back, which then led to a um, summer of let 's say uh, back injuries, surgery, and pretty much being immobile for the whole month of, of august and it was uh, really a fun a fun venture and so verse fourteen to me gives this this wonderful amen of like uh, there is no idea we don 't even know what tomorrow will bring so i 'm giving James a little bit of a, a cosign. and I just wanted to to real quick before I start just just thank this church for. Uh, the prayers and, and the cares shown throughout, uh, this, this really is a church that makes Jesus known well in the way that they uh, love one another. So I just wanted to, to thank you guys for uh, your support over the past uh, a couple weeks, and um, as tomorrow, I didn't realize what tomorrow would bring. It didn't mean, I didn't think that I wouldn't be preaching for, for most of the summer, but uh, right now, feeling renewed for uh, God's word, and feeling renewed to go into the book of James this morning. So, that's where we're going to be, uh, James 4. 13 through 17, and I want us to just take a look at these verses, because I think that James is going to put a pretty clear instruction for us uh, through this this little portion of, of Scripture here. And here's what his instruction really, really is. It's, it's, I think it's for the Christian, and I also think it's for anybody, uh, any human created in God's image. And it's a simple truth that we see. It's instruction in verse 15. I want to look at that real quick, and it says, it says this. It says, if the Lord wills, we will. That's what it says. If the Lord wills, we will. It's if this, then that. And that, I would say, is a pretty clear, it's a pretty clear instruction. It sounds pretty simple. It sounds pretty straightforward, right? If the Lord calls us to do so, well, what? We will do it, Okay, that's that's the teaching today. Let's pray. We can wrap it up. Like that's that's it, and that sounds simple. And yet, if you've been uh, walking in the faith for a little while now, you might come to the realization, like I have, that the instruction, the action, it's not always as simple um, to carry out as we'd like it to be. Uh, and maybe we, we maybe we um, we desire it to be but it's, it, it can be a little bit harder than we, than we recognize. We might nod our head and agree, yes, Lord, if you will, we will. We might say, Lord, uh, you, you tell me to jump, Lord, how uh, you know, high. Like, Lord, where you go, I, I, I will go. Like, Lord, it's in your hands. You, Lord, you, you know what tomorrow will bring. And then, Lord, I'm not going to fret. Lord, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to sweat it. And so we might declare that, I know that I have, and then all of a sudden though, find ourselves just going to our minds maybe wandering. Our minds maybe like wandering a little bit of, well, I wonder what work's gonna be like tomorrow. Or I wonder what that, feel a little anxious over what that class is gonna be like. Or maybe the doctor's appointment tomorrow. Or maybe, maybe the, the, the Zoom meeting that we have tomorrow. And so yes, with our mouths, we might be declaring, like, Lord, whatever your will is, we will. But then, maybe finding ourselves, and could even be just subconsciously, moments just concerned about the future. And, and I'm speaking from my own experience, I don't wanna project this upon anyone else, but even while, um, Preaching right now, my mind is also thinking about what tomorrow our debrief meeting is going to be like about the sermon or what kind of emails might come in about the sermon. Just these moments where, you have, like, how, Lord, Lord, I agree, if you will and you know tomorrow, and yet kind of falling pretty quickly from the instruction of James to what we see is the, the warning that James gives, which we see in verse 13 and 14, he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says this, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then poof, vanishes. Those are James's words. And now my scenario of thinking about my meeting tomorrow, my thoughts, it doesn't directly line up with what James, the, the audience James is talking to. James is talking to um, the ones who are, are kind of thinking about uh, the business venture. And, and, but what I am doing is I'm concerning myself with tomorrow, with what James and Jesus even encourages me not to do. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 6? He says this He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's what he says, for tomorrow what will be anxious for itself, he it says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble, that's the word of Jesus. But, but as humans, I, I, I recognize, I, th- I think we tend to think a lot about tomorrow, and like I said, J- James' um, warning and his instruction that we read, they, they are for a specific uh, audience, the, the, the business moguls, the entrepreneurs, the, the snake oil, sh- shady snake oil salesmen, things like that. Those who kind of seem to rely on their own wealth for, for security. And next week, James is gonna talk a little bit more to the audience, so we'll kind of go there next week. But here's what I think. I think James's message is, is probably for even a, a much broader audience than just that group. I think he's addressing any of us who maybe get caught up in the worries of tomorrow, in the anxieties, the the fears of the future, and and what both Jesus and both James remind us is, we don't know, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. James even goes far as, he says this, he says, you don't even know if tomorrow will actually even happen. He's sharing, who's the guarantor? Who's the guarantor that tomorrow is promised to you? James would probably take up um, Annie on that whole bet your bottom dollar like that tomorrow the sun's going to shine. He might actually take that bet. I don't know what a bottom dollar is, but he would probably take that. And so what we're going to see, though, throughout James 4 in this process, we're going to see James, he's going to remain consistent to a theme that we've seen throughout this whole book. It's an incredible theme. It's this theme of of humility. It's this theme and this call to humility. He's going to call us to be humble. Recognizing that we, we don't actually know what tomorrow fully holds. We don't even know if tomorrow is even offered. It's, what, it's all dependent on God's will. If he wills, we will. And although we can't be sure that tomorrow will be offered, well, I, I thank, I'm thankful that, that James is going to kind of offer us something today. He's going to give us an offering. James is what he's going to offer. He's going to offer us this instruction that if we really want to live out this Lord, if you will, we will, if we want to do that as followers of Jesus, well, he's going to offer us, I would say, a path and some some, some ways to live this out. And we're going to look at three of these today. And, And the first one is this, is we have to first embrace our mortality. That's the first one. Secondly. We need to establish, well, who is Lord of our life? And then lastly, we need to elevate God's will above our own wishes. So let's get after this first offering. It's embracing embracing our mortality. And this call to embrace, it's this healthy relationship that we have with the reality that we are finite beings. And what makes this an important piece to this whole if we want to follow the lord wills we will instruction. Well, why is this important? Here's why. See, a a healthy embracing of our mortality it reveals that our our plans there's a contingency to our plans. And the contingency, the one factor of our plans that we have to keep in mind is is this. It's it's staying alive. <laughs> It's being alive and not that classic Bee Gees banger like that. It's just we need to actually still exist, right? We make all these plans, but then we're not alive. They don't really, it's not not really a a great process. And, And knowing that we don't actually know how much time we have, what that should do is what James talks about throughout, it should humble us. It should humble us. It should make us plan even a little bit different, right? We should think a little bit, not just the future tomorrow, but we should think future like eternity eternity. But first we have to recognize and have a healthy relationship the fact that we are finite. We're finite. And and now it's also important to acknowledge that um, we're, we're not saying this just for the sake of like, being morbid. That's not the point, like, hey, guess what, we're all gonna die. Like, that's, it's true, but like the, kind of like the Gothimo approach isn't really like a, a healthy uh, space to live in. Just dwelling on death, it's, it's, it's not always helpful. And for some, it could cause just constant fear and concern and might not actually even live because you're constantly worrying and leaving the house like what's going to happen it's this constant concern and and so that's that's not what we would define I'd say as a healthy relationship with our mortality this constant focus however i think the challenge that we face as a culture i, I think we we might underfocus a little bit on our finality or we we might have kind of done a disservice where we've swung the pendulum so far the other direction, like so that now finality, it, it can almost be separated from like the human experience. Now that doesn't mean we're not going to uh, experience loss or see loss, right? We lost uh, Jimmy Buffett yesterday. Like people people pass. We know this, right? But f- from this American Western culture view that we have, it's possible that our lack. Of familiarity with this finality, that might be, that might be an unhealthy re- relationship as well. Right, just because we it makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not the fate. I've I've shared this book before in a couple of sermons, and it's a really powerful book. Um, it's it's called. Remember death, the phrase that comes with it is this memento mori. It's this Latin term that, that means remember, remember our death. And this author, Matthew McCullough, he gives some really fascinating insights. I just want to share some of those with you guys. He, he notes this. He notes that we're the first culture that's created an industry that tries to attempt to keep death from having to be something that is really the fate for, for everyone. What, is, what does he mean in that? Well, about a century ago... Lifespans were shorter. Modern medicine really wasn't where it's at. And that meant that, well, death, people were surrounded by death, right? Death would happen, people would die in their homes. People would die in plain view. There were no things like, um, like funeral homes. There was no nursing homes. There, there weren't things like hospice care. Right? There, there weren't these institutions that were, were, were just created to kind of separate, well, those who were dying and, you know, everybody else. And, and with, with the introduction of those institutions, we almost created this reality, like, like death, it isn't something that really I need to worry about, right? It doesn't, nothing really for me. And, and, and well, what's the result of that? Well, it's what James shares. The result is, well, today and tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and we will spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Basically, let me make all these plans without taking in consideration the possibility of my mortality. And what does James say? James calls that arrogant. He says that's arrogant. He says that that unhealthy view, that's boasting. You're boasting in that. So don't don't do that, right? Putting hope into things that also contain an expiration date. And so what happens is, is as a culture, we've created this like false narrative That we think we have all this time. But what's the danger? That's not always the case. 80 years isn't really a guarantee. And the challenge, this is important, the challenge with this view many take is that if we've placed death as someone else's issue, there's a problem because death as someone else's issue, what that means, it might have pushed, and I think it's pushed, well, the idea of salvation, this this eternal life offered through Christ to a place where that's now someone else's need as well. Here's a quote from the book. It says, death makes a statement about each one of us. You're not too important to die. And so long as death remains someone else's problem, Will Jesus remain someone else's savior? That that quote ties in so well to the teaching of James, and it also ties in the teaching of Jesus. We see in Luke chapter 12, it says this, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So so is the one who lays for himself. Treasures for himself that is not rich towards God. And so, so Jesus gives us this reality check. Hey, you're a, you're a finite being. Your life will one day come to an end. Just like James says, he says, What's your life? For you're this mist that appears for a little time and then phew, vanishes. It's, it's that vapor. It's like we talked about all throughout Ecclesiastes. And so if we desire, This instruction of James, of if the Lord wills, then we will. Well, We need to be aware that what that does requires in us a healthy relationship with the reality of our our mortality. There there will be a day when tomorrow actually won't be. It's true for, for, for all of us. And listen, that might sound depressing or morbid, and like I said, I'm not trying to do that. But, but, but thankfully, this is what I get to share, that there's good news. And this good news is that we have a God who provided this way of salvation, of rescue, so we can actually experience life for all of eternity, infinitely, through what Jesus has done, through his one and only son, Jesus, took death's curse, death's sting, and he conquered And now Jesus offers life to each person who turns to him. He offers life abundantly and eternally. It's incredibly good news. But eternal life comes after death. And so finality, it still remains. But, I, but for the Christian, here's what I wanna encourage us. For the Christian, here's the encouragement, right? Christ's work in our lives, it means that God's plan for us is beyond just tomorrow and tomorrow's worries and tomorrow's anxieties. It's, it's eternity and it's eternity that is not filled with any of those things. It's eternity that's empty of worries. It's empty of anxieties, it's empty of fear, it's empty of tears, it's empty of suffering. Those, those things that, we, that Jesus says tomorrow will bring. That's good news, that's encouragement. And, and for those who maybe don't, don't know Christ, well my encouragement would be that Jesus, he offers life. He offers life that is beyond this finite world that we find ourselves existing in. And, and when we come to embrace that, life is limited here, but yet Jesus offers eternal hope and eternal glory. Well what that does is it allows us not have to obsess about the future. It allows us to kind of live in the, in the here and now, live in the spirit, because tomorrow the outcome of the future is its, it's glory. It's what Paul says in Romans he says, "For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory." that is to be revealed to us. And so here's my, my hope for us to consider as we look at this first point. When, when it comes to the plans for future, like the, maybe the anxieties, I know I struggle with these, the worries of tomorrow. Like I would say take some time this week. Look, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. Look, look what he says about, the, the Jesus speaks about how the fathers care for us. Look how he speaks about the, the, the birds and, and the lilies, and he says, we're, we're more valuable than them. Take some time. St- just, just study that, be there. And secondly, here's what, what I want, want us to do is embrace, embrace a healthy relationship with our finality. But also embrace a relationship with the infinite one, with the God, this God who can bring life. Life of eternal. Embrace Jesus. Embrace Jesus as Lord of today, of tomorrow, of eternity, all eternity. And that's the next realization we have to look at as we look at this instruction. The second point we're gonna look at is, 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 is we need to establish who is Lord of our lives. Right, if the Lord wills, we will. Well, we need to define something important in that, when we say Lord, right, when we say that, who are we referring to? Who, who, who are we talking about? Who have we established as Lord over our life? Because the question is, when James says Lord, and when we say Lord, are we in agreement that it's Jesus? Is Jesus Lord? Because right, that, that's who James is referring to. But the question is, are, are, are we? Is that who we say is Lord? Now, I realize this term Lord, right? It's not typically used throughout the culture. We don't, we don't use it too often. Maybe the Christian culture we do, maybe like the British monarchies use it and things like that. Um, I, don't, I think the last time I heard this term outside of like the Christian circle was uh, my experience at Medieval Times. I think uh, you guys have been to Medieval Times, right? Where they, you know, the, the, the maiden, she referred to me as I was eating my like, my pheasant or pigeon with my bare hands, whatever it is, she goes, Lord, would you like a refill on your beverage? I was like, Me, lady? yes I would, right? And that's probably the last time I've used that word, Lord. It's, it's 2023 America, it's not really a, a used too much. But I think, I think because we, 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 we don't use it too often, we might have lost and it's foreign to us, we might have lost like, the significance. The significance of that word might be lost in translation. Right? For many Christians, including myself at times, we might miss the significance and the reality of what following Jesus as Lord, what does it actually means. Here's what we see biblically. Right? Lord in the biblical sense, it's, it's master, it's ruler, it's submission to another. And so when we make this claim for the Christian, Jesus is Lord, well, what does it mean? It means that we give Jesus full reign, we give Jesus full rule, we give Jesus full authority over all the areas in our lives. And why do we do this? Why is Christians do that? Well, first, we do this because Jesus is worthy of it. It's true, we believe it to be so, and, and, and secondly, we do this because, well, he desires, we trust him that when he says he came to, to, to give life and give it abundantly, we trust that that's true. We trust him and then we obey. It's like this hymn that I love, growing up as a kid, it's trust and obey, and it says this, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so that's what it means to, to recognize Jesus as Lord. We trust what he has for us is better, is good. We trust in his authority and we obey. So that means in things like, uh, like our career, like Jesus, you have authority. Jesus, you are the one who rules over what you want me to do, how I should labor for your glory, how I should use these skills that you, you created me with. You get to say that, Jesus, because you're Lord. It means when it comes to things like our, our bodies or, or, or sexuality, it means that Jesus, you rule and you reign over those things. How I how, um, can be pure and keep my, this vessel pure and, and how I should go about uh, using the gift that you have given of sexuality in, from the parameters that you've determined, from the boundaries that you've set up, not from the, the way that the culture encourages me, or just maybe my desires, but, but from your design, because Jesus, you're Lord, you rule. Lordship means in our finances. Jesus, you rule over these things. Jesus, these, the, 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 the steward, to be a steward, uh, to give and to be generous, invest in things that are eternal, invest in, in kingdom investments. And, and so, so, what this means is that for Christians who, who were desiring to live out this will of the Lord, there's got to be a distinction that needs to be made. When we say Lord, who, who are we referring to? Who are we referring to? I, and I think we can, we can probably determine that just from an, an honest assessment of some areas in our lives. Right? Who, who am I? I'm I living for? Is it Lord Jesus? Is it Lord, Lord us? Um, it, think, of it, think of it like this. You ever heard of the, the legend of the unbaptized arm? I'm sure everyone has, right? Uh, but what, what would happen is that some people would, uh, some men would go out to battle and they'd be baptized but they'd leave their fighting arm out and their sword out of the water. And what would happen is a portion of them would just go unsurrendered and a portion of themselves remains Lord. So they're kind of like one foot in, one foot out. And so basically what Jesus, how we see that in Jesus is he doesn't share the Lordship, it's rather a full immersion. And the same's true in regards to the way that we plan for our lives, right? He's Lord over our plans. Verses uh, 13, verse 13, James speaks, he says, this idea of making plants. And so why don't we ask when it comes to planning, things we we, we put our plans to? how do we go about doing that in our life? Here's an important question: whose rule and reign are we planning from? And I, I want to point out something real quick. In in this passage, there's nowhere where James says we shouldn't plan. He's not saying anything like that. Like plans, they're not wrong to have. Or this passage isn't saying anything like don't plan like just sit around and wait this whole thing out while some puppeteer moves players here from there. That's not, that's not what he's saying. James isn't promoting some sort of like uh, passive, existential, like fatalistic existence. That's not what he's saying. That, that would be antithetical to James's whole message of taking action and, and going forward. The warning that James is giving here, it, it, it's not withholding from planning. Here's what it is. It's about withholding the Lord from our plans. The the problem isn't with planning within itself. The problem is planning in a way that God has no place in the plans. That's the challenge. That's what James is worrying about. Here's what he's trying to do in James four. He's trying to get the attention of this group of believers who have made their plans, right? They're thinking we're gonna do these things in the future, but without considering a key ingredient an important part, an important factor, they haven't considered the Lord. That's a pretty important thing to consider. And and so I point this out because as Christians, we can sometimes fall into planning that doesn't include the one that we call Lord. Or we even find ourselves, we're, we're planning for Him. We're planning our lives for the Lord. And so once again, as we look about how we plan our lives, where, where James calls us to this, if the Lord wills, if it's your plan. And the question we continue need to ask is, who, who is the Lord of my plans? Is Jesus Lord over my plans? Or as a Christian, do I just continue to go along with the same plans as everyone else in the world? Worldly plans. Because the world offers us a set of plans entices us with its own plans. Like, like culturally, we're offered these blueprints for, for success. We are. It, it even starts before we're born. Right, the gender reveal, all right, it's going to be a boy. All right, well, we need to make sure he's strong. Let's make sure we paint his room blue. Like, okay, that, that works, right? And, or, and then, like, okay, well, next, is, it's preschool. So then preschool admission game these days is, like, really competitive. So we've got to get that application in. Maybe we get this, this kid, you know, volunteering maybe at a soup kitchen. Let's, let's beef that thing up a little bit. Okay, done with preschool. Well, let's go get him on that elite team, right? We need that scholarship. Hey, you know okay so he spent every day of the week crafting his pickleball game but yeah you know but maybe but for at the sake of church and like youth ministries but i don't know god you'll understand right this is the plan now he's got the full ride plans working All we needed to get is that internship then the job then the spouse and then we do the whole thing over again and that's that's the plan and it's not wrong to have plans, expectations. But we have to ask for the Christian, whose plans are they? Are they the Lord Jesus' plans? They may be a Lord's plans, but are they the Lord Jesus' plans? And we can argue and say, maybe response is, well, these plans of the world, they, they, they prove to be successful. They, they bring stability, they, they bring happiness. Doesn't, doesn't God want me to be happy and successful? Right, right, Pastor, um, doesn't Jeremiah 29 11, doesn't it tell me that the Lord's plans are for me to prosper? Well, Jeremiah 29, 29 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Prosper. It says that. And and listen, I, I, I love this verse. And this verse is true. The Lord has plans for us, for a future, for a hope. But what I think we might miss when we read this verse sometimes is the context into which the Lord is sharing this. You see, this promise, this promise is spoken to God's people before they're about to head into a season of exile, of captivity under Babylon, right? They're they're, they're not headed to a full ride at the university. And so as we read that context, as we know, it's important for us to ask, maybe, well, maybe the Lord has a different idea of prosperity. Maybe the Lord has a different idea of success. Maybe a different idea of happiness, because if we look for this passage from our cultural uh, processing, like this would be super confusing. We'd have to ask, like, where's the Lord's prosperous plan? Exile? Hope? Hope in a future like in captivity in Babylon? Like, listen, the Lord's plans—they're for our good. It's true. Romans eight twenty eight talks about that, makes it so clear. But I think it's important to acknowledge that the Lord's plan doesn't always look, it doesn't always look like we think it should. And when it comes to things like prosperity, well prosperity, it's not regulated to just our earthly existence. Prosperity, it's not confound to just worldly riches. And this verse is so true. The Lord has plans, plans for prosperity, plans for a future, plans for a hope. That's so true, but that doesn't equate to prosperity necessarily being the side of heaven. And I know that might be hard for anyone who might be just suffering, just walking through A season of 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 hardship. Right? God's plans might feel, I don't know, opposite of prosperity, opposite of of hopeful. And so I just I want to I want to recognize that struggle of of just maybe not understanding why we're experiencing such difficulties. Especially when we're resting on this promise of of prosperity, of future, of hope. And so if that's you, I I just want to encourage. I wanna encourage, God hasn't forgotten about his promises. He hasn't. And I love that we see so many good examples throughout scripture and throughout the Bible, these stories narrative of seeing God, seeing him just follow through on what he promises. I think of the example of, of, of Joseph, okay? He, so Joseph gets, he gets jumped for his fancy coat by his brothers. He gets thrown into a pit. He gets sold into forced labor. Then things start to look up a little bit, but then he gets falsely accused and he finds himself in prison. But the story doesn't end in prison. The story doesn't end in suffering. The the Lord, the Lord has other plans. The Lord uses Joseph from prison, he uses Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, which then puts Joseph in this place of power, of having resources. He gives access to food and supplies, which the Lord would eventually use to rescue his people from famine and from starvation. And I'm sure if you would've, if you would've spoken to, to Joseph during the prison time, right, he'd probably be, like, uh, he'd probably be a little confused by his, his circumstance. Probably a little thrown off. Like, I, I didn't think the plan to prosper was to be in prison but what what does this say about the character of god his plans the character of the lord his plans they're so much greater than our plans. they're so much greater and he alone is the one who is worthy of that title of that role of lord look what paul says in romans he says oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Look, he says, how unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. All things. Who has the mind of the Lord? Spoiler alert, none of us do. None of us do. And that title of Lord, it's reserved for one, it's reserved for Jesus, because from him, and through him, and to him, are all things, are all things. So we need to recognize who who is Lord of our lives. And as we desire to walk, and if the Lord wills, we will instruction. Here's the last thing we need to look at. We need to elevate God's will over our, our, our wishes. Now let me um, define wishes, I'm not referring to like a genie or like a magic lamp or anything like that. What I'm really referring to is just what we want over God's will. What we wish would happen over what God has allowed to happen. And that, now it's important also to point out that doesn't mean that we can't ask God's for, God for things that we desire. Right? He's a good father. Jesus Jesus says he's not some kind of father that if we ask him for bread, he's gonna give us a stone. He's not some father, if we ask him for a fishy he's gonna give us a snake that's gonna bite us. That's not what he is. And so what does that tell us about God? It tells us if we ask for something and he withholds it, it's not because he's evil, it's not because he's like dangling a carrot or anything like that. No, it's because his will, it's his will and he knows what we want. But the beauty of God's will is this, more important than knowing what we want, he actually knows what we need. He knows what we need and God provides for our needs. That's what a good parent does. It it, it reminds me of um, my, my middle daughter Cassidy Um, I I love this kid. If you know her, you probably feel the same about her. Um, And one thing I know about Cassidy, she has an incredible love for ice cream. Uh, She's committed to the cold. To quote my my pal, uh, Jack Fukuski, go dairy. Yeah. But if you ask her what she wants, she would respond. She wants ice cream every day, every day. And I I don't think she's alone in that. Yet, uh, what Alicia and I know as her Parents, is that ice cream every day, a daily dose of ice cream every day, typically leads to a lifetime battle of diabetes. So I know what she wants, but I also know what she needs, and she doesn't need diabetes. And and that's what it means to elevate God's will over our own wishes, our own desires, because God has a plan for us. His plan is to prosper. It's not to harm. And if we operate strictly out of what we wish we had, or what we wish would take place, well I, I don't think that would be God, like, allowing God to, to allow us to prosper. In fact, it might just bring us harm. We, we see this in, in, in lives throughout the people in the Bible. We see this especially in Esau, right? Just give me these lentils. I want what I want. And the result was loss of his birthright. And and I wonder how often we, we might fall prey to like, give me what I want in place of what God wills. And how many like losses we might have taken as we're trying to wish for a personal W. Yet, getting to the place of if the lord wills we will it calls us to elevate god's will over our own will in every decision it calls us to put decisions over desire lord lord if you will if this is your will then i will Lord, if this is where you're calling me to to do business, Lord, if this is the job you desire of me, Lord, if this is the relationship that you're calling me into, Lord, if this is the ministry that you want me to serve in, Lord, I, I wanna do your will. Would you reveal your will to me? Will you help me elevate your will over my wishes, my wants, my desires. Lord, I want to do the right thing. Forgive me of the times when I don't. Verse 17, we see this this warning at the end of this that James talks about, and and, and he he calls it sin. He says this, he says, part of walking in God's will, what's not omitting God's command and doing what's right, basically, what he's saying is when we know what God commands and what he's telling us to do, but we willfully just choose to ignore it, James says to his readers, if you omit God from your decision-making, well, you're actually sinning because you know the right thing is to seek his leading, but you still choose. You still choose to operate with, I'll just do what I will. And, and James, he says that's sin. And it, it's, it's, it's tough language, but it's not untrue. It's, it's pride, right? And, and that's, that's probably hard, hard for us to, to hear. But it is. It's sin. And as we recognize that, here's the other thing we need to remind, be reminded of too. Don't, don't lose sight of the beauty of the gospel that says we can be forgiven of sin. Like, like James says a few verses prior, he says God gives more grace. And so as we hear James acknowledge the sin of omission that I think we're all guilty of and fallen into, don't miss there's also a gospel of a savior who forgives sin. And don't also miss though that part of that process is when we confess and we repent and we turn from that sin. Those steps are needed as well. And so as we... Um, as we close our time, here's, here's what I want us to do. Um, I, I want us to just take just a few moments and I want us to ask the Lord, okay, um, where, where we might be operating from a space of our wishes, of our wants over elevating his will. I don't, I don't know if you have a, a notes app in your phone or if you have an old school pen and paper, whatever, whatever you, you have, Just just take a moment Take a moment and and actually take a step towards the Lord. Take a step towards the Lord and ask, where, where, Lord, show me where I might be out of step. Write this down. Lord, Lord, would you reveal where I may be out of step with your will for me? And then what I want us to do, I'm going to ask us just to commit daily, every day this week, just to, in a time of prayer, to seek the Lord in that. Ask the Lord, would you, would you just through drawing you through his love and his grace, Lord, would you, would you move? Would you bring me from that place of outside of your will, in whatever area that is, to a place of walking connected in your will. I think James would be so encouraged by a church that truly desires to live from this posture of if the Lord wills, well, we will. And, and I don't think that happens from us just trying to be better, will it to happen. I think it's when we seek the Lord, we take a step of faith, seek the Lord and ask him to, to, to transform our hearts and to change our hearts. We do take a, a step of faith. It was a trust that, although we don't know how much time we have here, that we have a purpose, and it's to glorify him. Trust that Jesus is a good Lord. He's a better Lord than any of us could ever be. And trust that his will is so much better than what we might wish or what we might desire. And lastly, I, just, I recognize that you know, not, not everyone here today would say they follow Jesus, and that's totally fine, and thank you for sitting through this. Um, but if that's you, I do want to encourage, I just want to let you know, he's good. He's worth following. And so what, what, I, what I'm just going to ask you to do is maybe write down any hesitations or any fears you might have in following him. Ask him to to make himself known. Ask him to show you that that he's good. Because he is. And he offers his life. Not just here and now, but for all eternity. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to let the band come up and we're going to continue to worship this morning. Father, we, uh, we come before you recognizing, Lord, that we do desire to do your will. And yet, Lord, there's at times such a a disconnect and a a tension and and a struggle in in that, Lord. Would you you help us just be reminded today that we are here for a purpose. We are here to glorify you. We are here to carry out your work, Lord, that you have set before us. Lord, I love that you talk that we are your, your workmanship set apart for good works. Lord, would you, would you help us to, to have eyes to see those works where you desire us to be, Lord? Lord, I pray that uh, as we say this, uh, this phrase, Lord, that we really define, is that you, Jesus? Or have we placed ourselves into that position? And, and we're, we're telling you what to do. Lord, would you forgive us of that? Lord, by your grace, Would you heal us of that? And Lord, I I do pray that we would see your purposes and your plans for what they are, Lord, that they are good, that they are for us to prosper for a future, for a hope. Would you allow us to see your kingdom, to see just the heavenly work that you are doing, and that you're greater, Lord, than any sort of just present thing that we have right now. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you that if we uh, we can turn to you, Lord, and, and we can, if we confess our mouth with our mouth, that you are Lord, that we can be saved. And I pray, Lord, that we would take that step today, if we've never done that before. God, we love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.